and you're closing us out. But first you have to tell us where we can find you. Oh, uh, I'm on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> For The Craft Podcast, I'm Leslie Camacho. And I'm Michael Raug. The Craft Podcast serves the community of designers, developers, business people, and content creators who use the Craft Content Management System to build great products and experiences on the web. With this podcast, we're aiming, quite literally, that means we're aiming, like right now, if you can aim a podcast, that's what we're doing, to give voice to the Craft CMS community, to bring you relevant news, to answer questions and help develop your skills, and to celebrate the awesome things you're accomplishing with Craft in your tool belt. And today, we have a special guest in studio for part two of our Why Craft series. Uh, Michael, why don't you introduce our guest for us here? Yeah, Stephen Grant was with us on our last episode because I'm recording this from his house uh, in Glasgow. Did I say it right? Yeah, you got it right. Yeah, uh, but we failed to introduce him. So uh, Stephen <laughs> is uh, a very well-known and well-respected uh, developer in our community. Uh, he mostly focuses on front-end dev, but is more capable than he admits uh, in lots of other stuff as well, back-end development and workflow development. Uh, he is a powerhouse in uh, several CMS communities and has recently come into and established himself uh, as a leader in the craft community as well. He is a good friend of mine uh, and just a, um, a selfless contributor to the web development world. Uh, he has worked on such awesome projects as Under Armour and the Gospel Coalition, and even uh, worked on the website for Sir Paul McCartney. Yeah, you need uh, the sir. You need the sir. You need the sir. And and really, we should. I mean, we should knight you as well. Like Les said earlier, we should, <laughs> we should refer to you. We should refer to you as the Lord Web Developer of Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Steve. <laughs> thank you, Stephen, for being with us and for letting me use your house to record the podcast. I think that's the most epic introduction ever. You deserve. We try. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. You do. Thank you, Michael. I well, in in our last episode, we answered the question: Why craft from the business side of things? And I talked a lot, probably too much, and gave Michael a very hard editing job getting it down to something uh, manageable for your ears. Uh, so thank you, Michael, for doing that. And in this episode, I'm excited because now we're going to talk about Ycraft from the developer side of things. And I'm really excited to learn more about this. I'm not a developer, but this is something I really want to understand more about. Uh, and so specifically, we're going to look at craft from a CTO uh, perspective. Uh, the tech stack, the tech behind it, all the other stuff. I can already tell I'm about two cliche developer terms uh, from being outside my comfort zone. So, Michael, why don't you kick us off here? Uh, why craft for developers? Um, so, so in the last episode, we got as far as um, we've we've sold the work. Basically, we've uh, listened carefully. We understand the client's pain points. We've convinced them that we can provide a good solution for them. But now, uh, you know, the CTO has gotten involved. The d developer team has gotten involved and they have questions. Why craft more than any other CMS that's out there? Um, and so when I'm having that conversation, um, 
just sort of like you, you know, based on lots of conversations and iterating it and kind of making the pitch better, I have kind of settled on the points about craft from a technical perspective that I think are the most compelling when I'm talking to, you know, a software architect or a developer. Um, the first one, and possibly the, the most compelling one, um, is just the architecture that sits underneath craft. The system, just from the first moment you touch it, um, is very cleanly architected um, and very elegantly architected in a way that encourages you as a developer to make good content-first decisions about the way you build your content management system. And we talked in, in our last episode about what that means from the business perspective and why that's appealing. And it's really important that, that it's not just um, a piece of business philosophy, that the way craft is constructed actually encourages the developer to make good content-first decisions. Um, the first, the first way that it does this is in the fact that content is elemental. So Craft has this notion of elements and any piece of content in the system, whether it's uh, an entry or an asset or a matrix block or you know a global variable set, everything is an element. And your fields then, your custom fields, are global to all of the elements. Um, and so you can mix and match them into to different layouts and workflows, but all of your fields can apply to all of your elements. In a lot of other platforms, you know, something like an entry of a content or a file asset or a user, those are all very different constructs and you deal with them uh, and you edit them and you query them and you display them in very different ways. Um, but in craft, everything is an element. And so everything can have custom content. Everything fits into the same uh, development workflow and the same content editing workflow. Uh, and so you can create some really elegant setups because of that just fundamental architectural decision. Um, I also talk a lot uh, when I teach about how a good architecture my measure of a good architecture is that it it abstracts or defers hard decisions. Um, and what I mean by that is if you're kind of weighing two different implementations of a thing, um, a good architecture is going to make it cost very little for you to explore one direction and then come back to another direction. Um, and Craft really excels in this area among other systems because the way Craft stores your data, and again, with everything being elemental, um, just the way data goes into the system and, and lives and is modeled, does a very good job of not locking you in to your initial choices about how a thing might work. Um, if you model your data well, then the ways that you can interact with it and pull it out of the system and display it um, are basically infinite because the data lives in a very pure state um, in, in the system. And so uh, it's very portable if you need to migrate it to you know, a different implementation or you want to um, 
pack it up and move it to a different CMS altogether, or you need to you know build an API for it, or whatever you need to do, it's very portable. Um, and if you're dealing with you know a CMS that has very proprietary formats for your content, or you know maybe ties you to a lot of third-party uh, you know short codes or um, you know design decisions um, that can be really frustrating if you get you know 80% of the way in um, and then you know or later down the line you realize meh we really need to tweak this and do it slightly differently but you can't because your system locked you into a particular proprietary way of doing things and craft very notably does not do that the data is very very portable um, so from an architectural standpoint, um, first and foremost, Craft just stands, uh, in my mind, above and beyond a lot of stuff that's out there because it encourages really good, elegant decisions and defers, you know, doesn't lock you into the, the first way that you decide to do a thing. I think one of the parts that I would like you to expand on uh, to help to help my business brain under uh, understand here is the architecture is important because the way you start a project versus how a project actually uh, develops as you're as you're going along can change. And so, if I'm understanding you right, if I were to really condense the information down, what you're telling me is that the way craft is architected. Uh, you are not locked into the initial decisions that you might make during discovery, so that if you need to be flexible, uh, there is less. There's potentially less cost involved if you need to m- make some strategic changes as you're going. Right. Yeah, and and that can take on two different forms. Um, for one, th- once you have modeled your content the possibilities for you know mixing and matching and relating and rearranging it are basically infinite Um, so you can do a lot more than what you initially set out to do without having to go back and add any in additional infrastructure Um, but on the second hand you know if you do decide that you need to change the way that your content is modeled in order to accomplish some new feature uh, or something um, the way that Craft stores its data um, and the way that the system is architected in a really content-first way means um, that your your data is portable. And whether that means migrating it into a slightly different schema um, or you know a slightly different organizational pattern or you know migrating it to a dis- different system altogether, um, you can feel very safe putting your data into craft knowing that if you need to rearrange it or reorganize it or take it out of craft um, the system makes that very painless that makes a ton of sense to me I I'm glad that you broken down that way for me so how do you feel about this Stephen like with your experience how does this uh, starting point of talking about architecture line up with your experience in in helping clients understand what they're getting from the technology side. Sure. So, I mean, I, I talked on this at the end of the kind of last episode, um, just about the, the kind of plug-in architecture um, that Craft supports, but doesn't necessarily rely on the same way that other platforms do. Um, given the fact it does a ton of th- stuff straight out the box, means that the business 
doesn't have to rely on these third-party vendors. Um, if there's a problem, if my team get hit by a bus in some unfortunate retreat, um, then they've got the backup of Pixel and Tonic to sort out any problems that might arise with the software. That is such an important safety net to have, to know that there's a fallback that you're not locked in, that you don't have vendor lock-in. And yeah. and so if I'm understanding what you both are telling me, the architecture is what enables a lot of that at the technical level. Yeah. Right. Both in the way that um, the system accommodates a lot of stuff without needing to rope in yeah. third-party stuff, but also... If needed. If, if you need to rope in third-party stuff the architecture of the system has encouraged the the developers of third-party stuff to build their components in a way that your data is still safe. Ah, uh, okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. And, and also, I mean, I think point one being architecture ties really, really closely into point two, which is the API um, that, that Craft provides. Um, because, I mean, the API and the architecture are, you know, very, very tightly knit. And the, the important point about Craft's API um, is that Craft itself runs completely on its own API. Um, meaning that the, the whole CRUD system, um, meaning creating, reading, updating, and deleting content, like everything that Craft does internally is using the same classes and the same methods um, that Craft makes available to a third-party developer um, or to you as an end developer. Um, so the API isn't a thing that's kind of tacked on, you know, at the end as a convenience for developers to extend the system the entire system runs on its own API. And that makes that API extremely reliable um, because, uh, you know, anytime that Pixel and Tonic is developing a new feature, um, you know, or building functionality into the system, um, they're using the same API that all of the third party components are using. And so if something's not quite right, um, you know, they'll, they will notice it straight off the bat. Nothing gets neglected. Um, and because it is so mission crucial that, you know, Craft's API function properly in order for Craft to function properly, um, nothing really gets, gets missed or neglected. Also, it makes the API extremely testable, both from Pixel and Tonic standpoint, and, you know, if you dig into the source, you know, Craft has just a ton of, of test coverage across its code base. Um, the extent to which they're testing their stuff is incredible. Um, but also as a third party component, I can test, as a third party developer, I can test my stuff on the exact same standards, you know, and the exact same spec that Pixel and Tonic is testing their stuff. Um, which, which makes for just an extremely robust development experience because if anything is even slightly amiss, um, you know, it's very easy to, to be alerted to that and to, to be able to fix it. Um, you're not going to break things, you're not going to break third party components in an update, uh, a version update. 
um, you know, nothing accidentally gets added or removed from the functionality that's available. Uh, you know, you know exactly what features of Craft are are public and private and accessible to you as a developer, and you can really, really trust them. Every time you click that one-click update button, you can really, really trust that button to not break um, because of the way Craft runs its own API. And of course, then ultimately that leads to very comfortable and flexible extensibility um, because this API is so robust, so broad, so powerful um, because it needs to be in order for Craft to run that I as a third party uh, developer can just really, really easily and beautifully um, tweak stuff and add functionality um, and rely very strongly on Craft's core code. Um, and, and ultimately, what all of that means in the end is its safety, its comfort for me as a developer, that I'm not going to accidentally break something, that I'm not going to accidentally neglect something, um, and that when I click that, that one-click update button, you know, I can really, really rely on this system to depend on itself and test itself in such a way that um, you know that I'm not going to bring my site down yeah. at two in the morning on yeah. a Saturday. And I think that's true for <laughs> for the end client as well. Just having that ability to do the live one-click update mm -hmm. um, if you want to delegate that to them. Um, but yeah, that peace of mind again. Yeah, it's peace of mind. For for me, for my end client, um, even you know, even for Pixel and Tonic in supporting their product, right? It's just peace of mind for everybody. It, Not it, that I would recommend updating a live site, right? Yeah. Right, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, we see so many systems where where the API that a framework or a content management system, the API that it provides to the third party developer is something that was added on as a convenience for a third-party developer. Um, but the internals of the system aren't using that API. And so stuff kind of, you know, gets neglected or it breaks and nobody notices, um, you know, or it's not as important to test that stuff um, because the internals don't rely on it. And, um, and I see that a lot, you know, across lots of different content management systems that, you know, claim to offer these... Uh, these APIs, and it's just not an issue with Craft. Um, I just trust the Craft code base more than most other systems. Not because I think Pixel and Tonic are awesome developers, even though I know that to be true. The reason I trust it is because the product is built on its own API, um, and that just gives me a lot of peace of mind. Right, that that blew my mind when I first learned about that at Craft uh, at 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 uh, Piers this uh, past year, where uh, our friend Ben from the first episode was uh, talking to us about how Craft uh, is built on Craft, and what I loved about what you just explained is what that actually means for a developer and how you can take that. Uh, very critical tech component and translate it back into business value in a very straightforward way. It 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 eats its own dog food. It's built on itself. Uh, so if I'm understanding what both of you are saying here, does this also mean that the chances, if you're a third-party developer, of utilizing some component of the system in your add-on that your add-on needs to function, uh, that the chances of you using something that's edge case uh, it, 
is that even possible with the type of architecture and API setup that you're talking about? Like, like for example, I know that in other CMSs or like in WordPress, because I'll just kick on WordPress again since my own I'm running into problems with my own site and I really want to move it over to Craftier over the next couple months, um, where in WordPress it has this concept of APIs and it has this concept of templates, but I always feel like everything I want to do is an edge case in WordPress and an add-on that I'm using, even though WordPress itself has a pretty robust one-click update, it never seems to work with the add-ons. The add-ons don't seem to benefit from that same thing. I can't trust that the theme, the plugin, uh, whatever other little widget it has, it, there's that round trip process that always feels, um, it, it feels very brittle to me. And if what I'm hearing, what you're saying about craft correctly, what you're saying is because craft is really utilizing its own API, there's very little, if no part of the system that an add-on developer might build on that doesn't have a built-in test so you can have that confidence in an update. Yeah, well, you've there's kind of two perspectives to answer that from, and both of the answers are yes, you're right. Um, the first is that the system is very well tested. Like, we as developers, we talk about test coverage, and basically what that means is you know, what percentage of the functionality of your system has a test that that goes along with it, that if that piece breaks, you know, there'll be sirens and red lights that tell you mm. that it broke and you need to fix it. Um, and, the, and, you know, the answer is, yeah, Craft has really, really excellent test coverage. Um, but the, from the other perspective, um, you know, when you're dealing, especially with WordPress, um, but with a lot of different systems, you're roping in so much third-party stuff, you know, to to tweak things and modify things the the way you want. And if any of that breaks, you know, the network of people that you're relying on to support it is not only wide but sort of ambiguous, um, because it's, there's this kind of you know, cacophony, uh, is that a word? Cacophony? Yeah. Cacophony. There's a lot of different third-party stuff in the ecosystem, um, and Craft covers a ton of those use cases um, natively in a first-party way, um, and they support their product and stand behind it very effectively. Um, so you can, you know, you can trust both that the code has been tested and won't break, um, in, in serious ways, but you can also trust that if you run into any issues, um, it, it's very clear where that issue is and and how to you know go about supporting mm, it. Mm, okay. So next on on our outline here is the part that I am quite honestly most intimidated about craft. <laughs> uh, like I've maintained craft sites. I've obviously sold my fair share of craft sites from small sites to very large projects. But what I haven't done is really dug into the template system yet. And you know, like one of the reasons I haven't moved my own site over from WordPress into craft is, is that twig intimidates me. And mm -hmm. I, f I feel like uh, I had, I don't have my starting point in there. And I feel like I had a light bulb moment at Piers, but I'm really looking forward to what you and Steven are about to tell me about why I should embrace and learn to love Twig. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, well, so many people, when I'm, you know, developers, uh, peer developers, and I'm trying to, 
to share with them the awesomeness that is craft. The first sticking point is that Twig is intimidating. Um, and and the thing is, I feel like Twig is intimidating because people talk about how intimidating it is. Like <laughs> once once you once you yeah. dig into Twig, it's so beautiful and it's so it's just so nicely done. The syntax makes sense. Um, that that if you actually just start using it and you know stick with it for an hour or two and figure it out then you know you will fall in love with twig twig is not is not really that terrible when i kind of consider my background into kind of cms development um the idea of writing php like scared me to death Uh, and that was one of the reasons that i really fell in love with expression engine was because it didn't have an intimidating syntax um but with twig it's kind of on the same level but i would say a level above that again um it's a lot more clean cut so i can have a a master layout for example um, and reuse that particular layout throughout the rest of my site um, with common components um, but then really customize the the internal guts of a particular page or content type. Yeah. Um, there's there's three there's three points about Twig that I think um, Twig and the way that Craft does templates that I think are really notable. Um, the first thing that I think just is a great um, great reason to use Twig. Um, a reason that I appreciate Brandon's decision to rope Twig into Craft is that it is very well documented, very well supported. I mean, it's used in all kinds of really big open source projects. The contributors to the Twig project are just really top notch, um, and it's so it's a well supported syntax and it's really robust. It's time tested, um, and you know, and there's a pretty big community of, um, of folks who use it and are contributing to it and can support it. Um, so the fact that the templating language isn't actually proprietary to craft, um, it's not proprietary yep. to the CMS, is an advantage for me. Um, both because by learning it, I've acquired a skill that is applicable across numerous systems. Um, and also because just the base of resources that exist um, to help me is is so much broader than if it were proprietary to yeah. the system. Um, and so the fact that, that Twig is so well supported and so well documented and so time tested um, and, and used across so many different projects is a real advantage to me. Um, the second point is that it's really fast. Um, and the reason is uh, the way Twig works when your your template is rendered, you know, your template is sitting in a text file and it's in Twig's syntax. But when the system processes that template, it's actually compiling it down to raw PHP. Um, and so, you know, the first time that you run a template, you're compiling it to PHP, and then every time you you call whatever you know that URL or you embed that component or whatever, you know you're not spinning up a templating system, you know, a template parser 
you know, to parse your template and do its logic, you're just running straight PHP uh, on the system, which is really, really fast. Um, and uh, and that's a huge, you know, a huge performance advantage because I get the benefit of the speed and power of writing my template in raw PHP without actually having to write my template in raw PHP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is magical, and that's you know it's an implementation detail, but it's really important because if you're coming from, uh, you know, a system where, for example, there's a notion of of embeds or includes in a template language, and um, you know every time you go one step deeper in embedding or including a thing, you know you're recursively spinning up instance after instance of a template parser, that really weighs on a system. Uh, and so the fact that this is all just compiled down to PHP means that I can have really elegant, you know, ways of extending one template with another or including a template in another. And I can include templates several layers deep um, and not suffer a performance hit for doing that. And so it gives me a lot of freedom in the way that I architect my templates um, because I'm not worried so much um, you know about the cost of parsing this template every time a page gets loaded and and that's huge for me uh, because it, it it means I can architect my template really elegantly however makes sense to me as a developer um, and know that the system is going to do the good smart thing with it um, and also I I think that it's great uh, you know, the third point here is that I think it's great to have a a text-based, file-based template workflow. Um, and you know, a lot of systems kind of um, you know may store a template in a database, or they may sort of couple tightly um, templates with um, you know business logic components. Um, you might see. You know, templates aren't always just in templates. Templates can get spread out over lots of different places in a system. Um, and to me, that makes a little bit of a, a maintenance overhead um, and and inconvenience. And the fact that all of Craft's templates are um, just twig files sitting in a directory means they're versioned. They're in my you know my source code repo. There's only ever one place that I'm going to look to edit. A template. There's only one place that the system is going to, you know, look to fulfill a template, um, and so it makes the workflow very straightforward for developing a site. Yeah, that part sounds really appealing to me. Where I know, I know, you know, for me, from coming from a very beginner standpoint to this whole thing, that last part that you finished with, I can just feel kind of the stress lifting off my shoulders when I think about this is like, I, I know at least where to start. I know that everything's here. There's not some esoteric place where I'm like, uh, I'm, you can tell I've had WordPress on the mind lately. Like if I'm trying to figure out what's <laughs> going on in, in WordPress's theme engine or where I'm making some adjustment, like if I just want to make a small change in, in the sidebar, you know, I, I have no idea where to start with that. Child themes, this, that, and then the other CMSs I, I know to different degrees um, are a lot better than WordPress, but it still has that same issue. Maybe this template gets used this way, or maybe it has a certain set of rules and maybe it's saved here, or maybe it's a file, maybe it's not. Uh, the idea that I can start in a single place 
and and really build out from there uh, sounds really good to me. I, yeah. I had not I had not heard anyone explain Twig as a compiler like that, and mm -hmm. uh, I, I love that you took the time to really really spell out why that's important to the system uh, to the uh, performance of the system uh, there yeah. too. Well, and it goes back to you know my first point at the beginning of the episode, which was the system encourages the developer to make good decisions, good, elegant, content-first decisions about the way uh, that something is is set up. Um, and so the fact that you're, you know, you can embed and include and extend your templates um, performantly means that you will. You will, you know, create dry code. Um, and the fact that, you know, it's all sitting in versioned text files means that you're not pulling it up in a text field, you know, in the control panel and editing it, uh, you know, cowboy code style on a live site. You know, you're editing it in an IDE that probably has support for the Twig syntax. Um, so the IDE is helping you in auto-completing things, and then you're committing it to some kind of version control and pushing it up to a server, you know, the way it's set up just encourages you to be smart. Um, so real quick, let's get to the fourth point that I think is really great about craft, um, which is all of this technical stuff aside, um, for me as a developer, I still want to focus on creating a really good experience for the end user, yeah. right? Because if I can't do that, then no amount of convenience for me means anything. Um, mm, and mm -hmm. and possibly, you know, I say that Crafts Architecture is its most compelling point, but really, for me, in actually building sites with it and working with clients with Craft, it's so compelling that the way Craft is set up out of the box and the way Craft encourages me to design a control panel means that things are very well organized and very friendly for someone who is editing content. You know, Craft is is designed as a content-first system, and it's architected in a way that makes me as a developer extend it and build it out in a content-first mentality, which means that when a client hits it, you know, to do a task, stuff is where they expect it to be. Um, you know, we talked about live preview. Live preview is killer, um, and the system is just architected in a way that as I edit my content, you know, and as an end user, I can see it, you know, morphing and changing and um, and coming to life before my eyes. Um, the way Pixel and Tonic have set up their design patterns, you know, we talk about craft being built on craft. Well, that's true of the back end. It's also true of the control panel, right? The control panel is a bunch of twig templates um, that access Crafts API. And so if I want to, you know, extend the control panel, I have a ton of great examples of how to, you know, implement a component um, so that, that the interface stays consistent. Um, and, uh, you know, the little touches that, that they've added, you know, stuff like if I'm editing an entry and just habitually I press you know, Control S or Command S because I expect that to save you know, a file <laughs> on my computer and right. craft saves the entry when I press that. Um, you know, I can customize the text of the, the relationship picker buttons or the file manager buttons. Um, you know, all of these little things, um, you know, 
just make it a joy for an end user um, to use. You know, when, if I build a site on almost any other platform, I can create a decent content editing experience and I can train my con uh, my client to use that system. Yep. With Craft, my training time has Draw. dropped down to like nil, right? I just give my client a username and a password to and, the, yeah, to the control panel yeah. and stuff is just where they expect it to be. Um, and that's just, it's a lot of smart decisions on the Pixel and Tonic side and it's even smarter decisions about how their stuff inspires me to build my stuff. Um, it's just I'm I'm building on top of a really really elegant framework um, that encourages content first design decisions, and clients love it. And clients can and you know I, the fact that clients can use it means that they will use it, right? Their content will get updated more frequently their content will be fresher it will be more correct it will be more robust because they don't fear logging into the system yeah. and doing stuff yeah it's and fun it, yeah and again comes back to the the kind of business decisions that we talked about um in the, in the last episode um about offering value and that that value is not always an roi um, but could be uh, increased staff productivity because it's easier for them to publish the content quicker. Yes, exactly. And I love how we've ended at the same place from both episodes. It all comes back to the user experience, and it's so good that it translates to developers and clients, uh, decision makers, whatever that looks like. And um, you guys just brought up uh, a huge component to the sales piece that I neglected that now I want to go do a whole episode on. And that's what do you do with the craft site after you launch and and how craft just enables a whole bunch of stuff. But I think the thing I want to pull out of what you both just said is that it's a joy to use. Like I actually yeah. want yeah. to get in there and manage content. I actually want to create content in it. Uh, and what you're talking about the UX, you, you know, one of the things... Um, that I've been really impressed with with Pixel and Tonic as a company uh, and with Craft as a product is that you can tell that that they have done a whole bunch of actual client work themselves. Uh, it seems like a lot of the decisions here in the UX they're not it's not done in a lab. There, um, I mean, maybe there were focus groups and, um, and and all that you know very smart stuff that people can do but there's also kind of the blood and frustration and annoyance that comes from actually doing client work and hitting your head against the wall when you're spending so much time trying to just get a client to do a simple thing and the client's even more frustrated than you are because there's not that one-to-one -one relationship like updating the gallery is not really updating the gallery it's really okay go down this left-hand menu and find this word uh, that is not gallery, but it's appearance. And then in appearance, <laughs> there's a sub menu, and in that sub menu, there's this other thing. But it's not gallery. It's not called gallery either. It's an add-on's name like Whizbang Images or Quick Owl or some bizarre esoteric name. And then in right. there, that's where you upload an image, and then you go back to your post, and then it's the custom field, and there's your gallery. And yeah, but that like, is the focus group, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's the focus group that built Craft. Was years and years of building yep. client sites, supporting their expression engine add-ons, you know, all of sales and and really digging in like you talk about to understand, you know, 
this content first mentality because when a client comes to me, they know what their content looks like, right? The outline and the structure of content is in their head and they know how they want to present it to the world. I shouldn't have to explain to them, you know, what an element is and what a custom field layout is. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't need to give them a technical education. They already know what their content looks like. Right. And with craft, I can give them an experience that just corresponds so nicely right. to what is already in their head. And they love it. Because the time they're the end user of it, it's not called a custom layout element. It's called gallery, and that's what it is. Or it's called, yeah. you know, whatever you know, whatever it needs to be. Uh, that's just, yeah, uh, I I agree with that so 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 much. Um, let me see if I can wrap up here what I've learned from my non-developer seat, and uh, you tell me where where I've gotten it right and wrong here. So we talked about four main points here. I'm going to condense architecture and API down into the same same point, and that's simply that craft is built on craft. And what that means is that its architecture supports itself. So when it comes to testing, when it comes to third-party uh, development, when it comes to first-party development, you have all these reliable systems uh, that basically you can trust it not because you think the company behind it is great even though we do but because the you can literally test it you can run tests you can yep. see when something's broken you don't have to i don't have to say well i believe michael and steven are great developers and so hopefully they got it right you can actually show me that it's right or more importantly and i sincerely mean this like great developers make mistakes all the time yeah. Uh, what, but what makes a great developer great is that they know they're making mistakes and so they have a process and a tool set that allows them to catch those mistakes. They know they're making mistakes and so they work in a way that they iterate quickly off of, the, uh, off of them and Craft basically enables that quick turnaround time on stuff. Uh, then we talked about Twig and Twig is super performant because it's compiled uh, PHP. And the other thing that really stood out to me is that Twig is a system, is a templating system that's used by multiple CMSs and multiple applications. And so yep. the, the contributor community is really uh, robust. Like some of the smartest programmers on the internet that do not work for Pixel and Tonic um, are putting their brains behind improving this thing every single day. I think even Drupal uh, now has a, they're calling it yeah, a Drupal, theme layer, I think. Drupal is going to run with Twig, so there's a theme layer. Uh, yeah. And that it, it also has great uh, documentation, though I must say that it is very developer-oriented documentation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're working on that. But it's not yeah. as scary as it looks, right? Yes. I no, want that to no, be the takeaway. <laughs> just use it. Just use Twig. And if you just use it for a second, you'll get it. Uh, and then the last part is that it's just a joy to use. You can tell that this was built by people who do client work, uh, who have years and years of experience, and that the end result of Craft in the way that it's built, even on the UX side, uh, is, again, Craft being built on Craft. And so they have, even if they weren't doing client work, they really do have an incentive to make it a great experience um, since it's, it's, it, is, it really is its own case study uh, to some extent. Uh, there. And then yeah, you said you smart things about design patterns, which is probably another uh, another episode. 
definitely. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of the Craft Podcast. Uh, I'm Leslie Camacho. Thank you for joining us. And our good friend, Stephen, where can we find you online, Stephen? Um, you can find me at digitalevangelist.net uh, or at stevieg underscore 83 on Twitter. Please also visit our website, craftpodcast.com. Sign up for our updates so we can let you know when we release new episodes. Also, please get in touch with us. Our email and our Twitter is on the website. We would love to know your ideas and your questions for future episodes of the podcast. And until then, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.